St. Dominic Media proudly presents Catholic in America, the show that engages the intersection of faith and culture. Make sure you check us out on Facebook, online at our website, stdominicmedia.com. And please make sure to support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash stdominicmedia. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Catholic in America, the show that engages people at the intersection between faith and culture. I'm your host, Father Michael Nixon. I'm joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Father Doug Martin and Father Tom Dillon. Today, we're looking at whether or not priests should be married, and would that solve some of the issues in our church? Our main talking points today are going to include, will allowing priests to be married, is that going to solve the problem of pedophilia in the church? Will that also solve the problem of the priest shortage? And what's up with celibacy? And today, we've been infiltrated by an actual married priest, Father Doug Martin. So sparks are going to fly. Stay tuned. Thanks for joining us here on Catholic in America. Again, today we're talking about whether or not Catholic priests should get married. Please share and subscribe. So with that, uh, I know you guys have probably heard a lot of points that people made, objections, basically why people think celibacy for Catholic priests is crazy. We have uh, one married Catholic priest with us on, on the show today, Father Doug. So what are some of the reasons that we've, we've heard? Well, you know, I mean, some of them that I've heard has been you know, a shortage in the priesthood, that we, we don't have enough guys that are there. Loneliness, you know, that our priests are lonely and they need companionship, and they're not having that in in their priesthood. And then, you know, also I've I've been told, you know, Peter was married, so why not do it? I mean, you know, why wouldn't that be a good idea? It's the Trump, the biblical Trump card that That's people it. are throwing down. Peter was married. That's what about it. that? <laughs> That's it. Proof it's a good idea. Right? So, yeah. Yeah, and also some of the other questions that I've heard is that uh, as celibacy is kind of an odd thing, especially in the world that we live in today, um, are we attracting the wrong type of people? And like, what's up with celibacy? Like, is celibacy a good thing in the modern world, especially with the different scandals that have affected the church in the last uh, 30, 40, 50 years? And so like, is this actually attracting the wrong type of people? And like, what is this, is this actually helpful anymore? I think something that comes up a lot, particularly uh, where we live with, there's a lot of people in Protestant denominations and, and where their pastors are married. So like, well, my pastor's married, why shouldn't priests get married? Um, you know, people come up with all sorts of things. You know, they heard, oh, I heard it wasn't a rule in the church until the 16th century or something, which we can get into the, the, his, the history of that. That's not, that's not exactly true. But just, just a lot of those objections that come up um, a lot, and probably people have heard them. And I think some of it, maybe we can think about what's, what's people's reasons for that, not just like reasons that they put out in front of them, but what are people experiencing when they see the celibate priesthood or see a married priest in a mostly celibate priesthood? Uh, for you, Father Doug, like what are, what are their reasons why, why they might have a problem with that or they might struggle with that in, in, in talking to a priest or maybe even leaving the church? Yeah. You know, I mean, one of the things that I got when I, when I was first ordained and even before I was ordained was is that it, it was going to be easier to talk to me because I'm married, because I can relate to them if I'm married. And, um, you know, that was a very common objection. I was told that, oh, I'd rather go to you for confession rather than celibate priest because you're going to be able to speak into my life. I, I got told that quite a bit. And then also the the ability to be able to relate to their to their children as well that that because I'm married and I'm a father that I'd be able to relate to their kids and I'd be able to relate to their their whole family and the family dynamic. I feel that sometimes there there's a there's people with with maybe good intentions that love the priesthood and want to relate better to the priest that that might be a reason. There's also people that have kind of their own intention. They want to change the priesthood or change the church, and that is kind of a challenge to them as well. So we have kind of both of those factors at work where people are struggling with the priesthood 
and or they object to the celibate priesthood not because they want to just relate better, which I think is, is, a, is a great reason, um, but because they it, it challenges them or maybe it brings up some of their own uh, places where they, where they disagree or they have problems with the church. Yeah, I think that also within the priesthood, obviously we've seen a lot of priests, um, even in our ministry, we've seen priests walk away from the priesthood um, for the sake of relationship and companionship. And so like in that call, which is like even going back to Genesis, going back to scripture, you'll find that that it, God says it's not good for man to be alone. Hmm. And then like in this, this fundamental longing of the human heart, and especially the masculine heart for femininity, like what's, how does that play out in the priesthood? Like where do you find companionship? Where do you find intimacy in the priesthood? And I think that on the outside, as people are looking at the priesthood on the outside, they're just like, well, that's obviously a very lonely life. And I think that in honesty, like a lot of priests do struggle with loneliness. Um, so I think that that's a, a piece of it, but I also think that there sometimes is a misperception because I've talked to a, a lot of married men who are also very lonely. Mm -hmm. But then like, how do you find intimacy in the priesthood? How do you find that in the context of celibacy and um, all that goes into that? Because we have seen lots of guys, like even brother priests who've walked away for, the, for that very reason. To me too, we're, we're in a culture and a society and we need to recognize the culture that we're in that's impacted by the sexual revolution we're basically we're told on a daily basis that we can't live without sex and that we're defined not just by our gender, but by our sexual activity, that sexual activity now defines us. So to say someone that would, would willfully decide not to engage in sexual activity automatically becomes this sort of incomprehensible um, you know, struggle for people. In a sense, it's kind of, you know, it's, uh, it's otherworldly. And to me, it's always that celibacy is, is pointing towards something beyond itself. But, but, um, but yeah, just that, that struggle that people have because we're wounded by, by uh, the culture that we're in, we're, but we're part of the culture as well. So when someone's living in a way that's contrary to it, that, that becomes a challenge. You know, I've, I've been told that there's a, a, a connection between, I've heard this, there's a connection between sexual abuse and, and celibacy, that, that men are more drawn to that because they're single and they're looking for that companionship. And so it, it kind of shows itself in inordinate ways and in ways that aren't natural necessarily and, and, and abusive even. And so they, they, it's almost as if, well, they just can't contain themselves because they're, they're celibate and they're, they've promised not to do this, but there's this, such a strong urge that they've got to do it. And so it shows itself in the form of abuse. Mm. And um, De Definitely something that we're a lot more aware of now as a society, something that's, that's at the forefront of everyone's minds. But even what you brought up, Father Tom, that this, like what is the type of men that are being attracted uh, to the priesthood if there's if celibacy is, is the normal rule for the, for the priesthood is is it bringing up those um, yeah are those kind of men yeah. being attracted to it as well as the the perception that okay if guys are allowed to get married then that's going to just kind of satisfy that natural urge and that natural passion that that God has given to man and therefore like if we had married priests like all of a sudden this problem of pedophilia or of sexual abuse in general it's just gonna, it would magically disappear right. which i think is a perception i'm not sure it's real like right. it's actual it's written in truth but there is that perception yeah. that this is going to solve this problem which i think is the problem is obviously a lot deeper than just that and so like putting a band-aid on it is that but that's how i think the perception is that if we allow guys to get married then all of a sudden this is no longer going to be an issue yeah, that, that, okay. And uh, again, you know, bringing up the, why people are feeling this way. I think people are hurt by the church. People have been hurt by, by uh, sexual abuse of, at, at every level of society within families and different organizations, but in particular in the church, because men that have been entrusted with authority, with spiritual authority and for the care of souls would abuse that authority, that that hurt runs deep. And in a sense, looking for a way to fix this 
that obviously it's, it's monstrous when somebody would abuse somebody or, and abuse their authority in that way, sexually or otherwise. Uh, so just lo looking for a way that people are looking for answers in a sense. They're looking for some sort of accountability. And this seems to be kind of what's the big difference in the Catholic Church, and it is celibacy. So it, it, it's the easy thing to 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 look at. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and, and, and even, yeah, you know, I mean, they, they also look at maybe the Eastern churches as well. We don't look at that as much here because we don't have them around as much. They're not very apparent. But the people who are aware of, of Eastern Catholics and, you know, come to the realization and know that, that some of their guys are married, that, that the rule there is a little different than in the Latin Rite, they, they assume that there's no issues over in, in the Eastern uh, Catholic churches either. There's no sex abuse. There's no loneliness. There's that, that marriage solves all the problems and that there's no problems that happen once you're married. And I think that that, that can be a little short-sighted too. But it, it's, but again, it goes to a deeper issue of dealing with, you know, well, this is our problem. And so how do we fix our problem? Well, we go to someone else's solution, not realizing there's problems there too. Yeah. And so recognizing that there are there, there's a systemic problem in these areas and it has a, has a lot to do with our approach to sex, has a lot... Uh, to do with our approach to intimacy and relationships. And that celibacy, again, within the Catholic Church as priests is this very difficult thing to grapple with. So before we get into the next part of our show where we talk about where the Catholic faith and this, these topics of culture intersect, we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Catholic in America. We're discussing today uh, whether or not Catholic priests should get married. If you appreciate what you see, please like, share, subscribe. And if you'd like to support us, please support us on Patreon. So we, we've discussed all the reasons people are against celibacy, why people think it's a bad idea within our culture and society and even within the church. So some, what are the reasons for it? Why, why does the church maintain this rule? We have exceptions with Father Doug uh, being a married uh, Catholic priest. But why are some of the reasons and why does this make sense in the light of our faith? I think that uh, you have to look at some of the false assumptions first in order to answer like um, whether or not having married clerics um, on a more more massive level. Obviously, we do have married clerics. We have married priests. Uh, we have our, our spy right now. We have married deacons <laughs> as well. Absolutely. We have married yeah, deacons. Yeah. Uh, and I think that historically, for the first thousand years of the church, like we did have married clerics. And if you go back to the historical records and you go back to the reasons for why celibacy became mandated as a discipline throughout the whole church, the reason for it was because of the problems that happened in the 8th, 9th, and 10th centuries. Um, that obviously now we're a thousand years later, and that's what people who are ignorant of history, um, I think that's also why I like that phrase, uh, ignorance of history means you're gonna be doomed to repeat it. Mm -hmm. And But like when you had the 8th, 9th, 10th centuries, um, which is, there's also this false understanding that like celibacy all of a sudden was a creation of the Council of Trent. Um, which, which is like 16th century. 16th so, century, yeah, 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 which was a response to Luther. Well. Uh, Luther wanted to actually one of Luther's main points was that he wanted to go out and get married and so like he left the church as that was at least one of his points because actually at that point like cel celibacy was a discipline within the church and that started really that became a major point in the 10th century which uh, Pope Gregory VII who was the Pope at the time had been dealing with all these problems and the, all the past popes for the last 200 years prior to that had been dealing with all these problems of married clerics. Um, and that's when in the 10th century, dealing with the problems, the problems that were dealing, he was dealing with at that time was simony, which was the buying and selling of church offices, as well as uh, 
a lot of, and I'm not saying that, Doug, you'd ever do this. <laughs> but, uh, so far, I haven't been offered enough. That's, so, that's yeah. good. That's good. Uh, but as you know, as a, mar- yeah. as a married priest, and you have kids, yeah. like you want to make sure that you take care of your kids, especially when you die. Absolutely. So like what had happened in the 8th, 9th, 10th centuries is you had tons of married priests. And as we know, like many people are very generous with the church. And so like they give <clears throat> endowments, they give all these, these funds. They buy vessels, and so like in the 8th, 9th, and 10th centuries, you had these priests who were receiving gifts for the church, but then you had, not only did you have the buying and selling of church offices. He was offices, giving it to Junior. Yeah, exactly. Well, he was giving it to Junior, junior and he was like, yeah. then you had bishops who were just like, well, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to make sure that my son's going to be taken care of, and he's going to be a bishop after me, and I'm going right. to give my diocese to him, <laughs> and I'm going to give this parish to him. And yeah. and uh, this chalice, which, which happens in politics now, but it used to have. Oh no no no! Oh my gosh! Don't, don't talk about that. <laughs> no, but so like yeah. that's why like Gregory the Seventh, um, looking at all these different problems, as well as they've been dealing with these problems for a long time, and the selling of church offices, the the um, stealing of the property of the church, and all this happened. It was not for the most part a problem which was happening with the celibates. It was a problem which was happening with married clerics, and that's where the discipline came into. Hmm. And so I think that's I think that understanding the historical reality of why celibacy became mandated as a general norm in the church, because like if we had Mary clerics, as we know, like people think that magically like we're not gonna have any problems anymore. Yeah. And I think that right. no, it, we'll know we might just have different types of problems. And it brings up too, because I think obviously celibacy within the church as a discipline and practice and a norm for a lot of people within the church, monks and nuns and, and people that, you know, vowed to life of virginity, that's been there from the beginning. That Jesus, you know, in the Gospel of Matthew talks about some that have, 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 be, have renounced marriage for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And that there's always that call. St. Paul talks about this as well. John, John the Apostle. Um, John, the, John, John the Apostle. Um, that uh, Peter, even though he was, he was married, and we know that because Jesus heals his mother-in-law. Right. No jokes there, yeah. uh, Doug. But <laughs> never said Peter asked for his mother-in-law. Just that he informed her. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. wasn't necessarily <laughs> asking. That's and right. so that, 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 yeah. that's always been there. But then there's always, always been this, in order to follow Jesus in a really particular way, because Jesus was not married. Jesus lived his whole life in, in, in not married according to the earthly sense. He lays down his life for his bride, well, you do, you do which is the, the church. You do have the conspiracy theories that say that. Well, exactly. exactly. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Mary nonsense Mary theories. Yeah. But in the sense that Jesus yeah. is married to the church, that he lays down his life for his bride. And so even within celibacy, instead of just a, a renouncing of something, as in like marriage is bad and we don't want that, or does he take care of land regulations in the 10th century, that I'm saying yes to something. And I think that's maybe what, what, what people miss a lot of times is that it's not primarily a no, but it is a yes, because I want, I want to more closely resemble and live my life in, in union with Christ. And as a priest within celibacy, I get to do that in, in a particular way. That's, it's challenging, obviously, and it is sacrificial, but it's beautiful when it's lived well. Yeah, you know, and, and, and I think, you know, as a, as a married priest, that's something that I've recognized when I look back at the biblical record and I look in those early centuries. And even today, when I'm looking at my brother priest and I'm looking at the, the ways that you guys get to interact that, that I can't, I, I have a limitation. And, and that's part of the reason why that, that married priesthood isn't maybe seen as necessarily a good idea is because of the limitation that happens. And so you look at the early church and you think about, you know, Thomas and, and all the apostles that went all over the world and were able to evangelize and evangelize without fear because they didn't think that their wife or their children was going to be affected by it. They weren't going to be killed and martyred. It was just them. And that's all that they really had to pay attention to 
for themselves was the flock, the people that they were um, in front of. And so, I, I mean, I think that the type of sacrifice that our, our brothers, priests have to make, that you guys have to make as being celibate, is a sacrifice that if we lost that, the effect on the church, the effect on our faithful would be a huge, huge issue. Mm. And we wouldn't, we might not be able to recognize it until too many years later to realize, man, you know, have we made a mistake with this? And so I think the, the idea that, that this is going to solve something, that this is going to solve uh, an issue, well, it may, may solve one problem, and I'm not sure if it's going to solve some of the problems that we're, we're thinking it's going to yeah. solve, but the issues that are created after that, because, you know, my question would be, when you get to this, and this has happened with priests who are married, who are coming in like me as a former Anglican, and um, and Eastern um, priests coming in as well. One of the problems that's happened is is divorce. So he was an Anglican priest, everyone. Just to let you know. Yeah. Doug <laughs> converted, became Catholic, and then years later became a Catholic priest. He didn't sneak in. We didn't. We weren't right. unaware of you. Like oh, you know, so you yeah. didn't pull yeah. one over yeah. on the bishop that's or right. anything like that. Got, yeah. got introduced for it. So, that's right. So and so, but but there's several guys that's come in like me that um, have divorced. Okay. And that's one issue yeah. that you don't really consider when you're thinking about married priests. You're assuming that the priests that you're getting are going to be, I mean, I guess perfect is what you would think. And so you think, the well... Subs the subsequent scandal that happens with what happens broken after families, the strain priests, on a marriage, absolutely. even before that, 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 that can be there too. Strain Again, on the marriage, the family. Which isn't yeah. the, the only reason, or to say like, no, no carte blanche, that's a no. bad thing, but it does bring up other struggles as well. One of the things I thought about too is what celibacy is as a sign, like that 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 um, you know celibacy yeah, for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. That it is this point, this in a sense in the world that we're priests who live in the world. We you know, we interact with. We're out in a monastery somewhere. We're in our parishes. That a sign, imperfect and sinful as we are, that this world is not all there is. That we're pointing beyond this world towards, you know, that celibate for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, that we're made for heaven, and that marriages are supposed to be a sign of that too in their own right. distinct way. But the celibacy and begin, in a sense, beginning to live now here on earth, what we're going to be entering into in heaven, which is union with God and union with with the, the whole body of Christ, the whole church. So the more that we're living that, it's it's a countercultural sign. I recognize that. No one no one runs up to me and says like, you shouldn't have to be obedient to your bishop. No one ever like seems to struggle with that, or you shouldn't have to pray the liturgy of the hours five times a day. Right. No one seems to, to have a problem yeah. with with you know me praying or having a simple life or being obedient to my bishop. But celibacy is the one that's a challenge to them because it, it, in a sense, kind of awakens them possibly to the fact that there might be more than just this world. And that, that's what our faith is about. Well, but I do think that in fairness to the argument that a lot of people do perceive like, well, loneliness. Yeah. Like this thing of loneliness. Because like <clears throat> as a visible sign, that's what Pope uh, Benedict talked about quite a bit as well as John Paul II. And uh, Pope Francis has made allusions to it as well as Pope Francis says we're, he is not going to um, carte blanche just allow married clerics because of the importance of celibacy as both a tradition. Um, but I think that many people who are looking at this problem of celibacy are looking at the problem from, okay, well, what about the loneliness? Mm. And what about all of the, all these effects that seem to be flowing from celibacy, such as guys who are leaving the priesthood um, and people who love and they fall, they fall in love with, with their priests in a good and healthy way, but then they see their priests are lonely and struggling they leave and they're like, well, is this, this seems to be a consequence of celibacy. Um, I think that looking at that a little bit more deeply is important, is that recognizing, and that's what I remember being in a seminary um, or in pre-seminary and I was talking to my spiritual director at one point and I asked him, I was like, aren't you lonely as a priest? And uh, 
What he actually told me, he was like, not really. He's like, I'm so busy. <laughs> like, I, don't have time to be, I don't have time to be lonely, which right. I, I, I think we can probably all relate to that, yeah. at least uh, yeah. me and you, Mike, uh, being <laughs> celibate. It's like, because uh, we do have the freedom mm -hmm. to engage and to give ourselves and empty ourselves out entirely into our ministry. Um, but obviously, you go home at night and you don't have someone to cling to. You don't have someone to right. cleave to, at least not in that physical sense. You do have the, the spiritual relationship with our Lord and um, the intimacy which we find in our ministry, because like, as a married man, we are called to empty ourselves out onto the, onto the bride, onto the church. And that's where we find that in that intimacy of pouring ourselves out in our ministry that we find that fecundity, we find that life, that we find the Holy Spirit present there. But in that physical way in which we come home at night, obviously we don't have someone to cling to. We don't have someone. Uh, but that's what my spiritual director at the time told me, which actually brought, gave me a different perspective on looking on at celibacy. Is that he's like, Tom, he's like, don't think that loneliness is not is going to be solved by getting married. He's like, because I know many married men who've been married for 20, 30 years who are lying. And he's like, you can be lying next to someone in bed at night and still feel lonely. Well, I mean, you know, you have emptiness syndrome that comes with that. I mean, when the kids get out of the house, you have this couple that come together and after 30 years being together, they split up and they go, I don't, I don't know them because their yeah. whole life was wrapped around those children when they get out. I mean, I've talked to couples who, who've had this where they're like, I'm just trying to get to know him again. And, you know, just trying to, to figure out who this person is I've been married to for 30 years that we've had kids involved. And now the kids are gone and we have to be together. I don't know him as well or, or anymore. Even within a good marriage, mm -hmm. not, not necessarily just like a marriage on the rocks that I feel right. lonely, but even within the best marriage, Absolutely. the best circumstance, best friend group, that you can still experience loneliness. And I think maybe we're just not used to being okay with that. Not okay yeah. as in like I just accept the loneliness, but okay in recognizing that this is going to be, I'm going to have to suffer through this and that God is present there. And can I experience God there? And I think, you know, that's maybe the the hopeful aspect when we talk about the priesthood. It's not just a sociological thing that we, you know, at this this order of, of, of ordained people and then they don't have marriage, that this is something supernatural that we have a relationship with God that in our loneliness are we learning how to pray. And I think hopefully that's a sign for other people too in the midst of their own relationships, in the midst of they might be in a great marriage and all of a sudden that's their spouse dies. Yeah. And, but, but, and the loneliness that can enter in there or when there's yeah. an illness or where there's a separation, like how do you encounter God there? And hopefully as celibate clergy, we're helping people to, to see that and to experience that it's possible. At yeah, least. But, but back to your point about celibacy pointing to something that's heavenly, something that's, that's true in reality is, is that, uh, you know, do, do you, the folks who want uh, a married priesthood, are, are they thinking about the reality of that, of what that priesthood is pointing to? Mm -hmm. And then also, you know, that their marriage isn't permanent. I mean, it's still it's just still death. I mean, that's the contract. We're only going to stay, you know, this is going to happen till death. And then when we go to heaven, we're not going to be married. We're not going to have that 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 intimacy. I mean, we don't know exactly what it's going to be, but that intimacy is going to be with God. It's going to be with our Lord as opposed to necessarily with another that we're married to. And so the reality that it's pointing to, you know, maybe for people is, is struggling with that reality as well. You know, we, we know that people are struggling struggling with their relationship with God, even at the moment that they, they pray and they don't know if anyone's listening and, and those sorts of things. And, and that's where, you know, that's where maybe some of the fear comes from is, is I need someone. And yeah. so obviously they need someone because I'm not hearing God as well. Maybe they're not hearing God as well. Either, but but to realize for for a priest and for uh, or even a religious that their their marriage to a certain extent is to that is to that bride 
And so that's when anytime someone tells me that a priest doesn't understand me because they're all not married, I'm like, no, they have many wives and husbands right here in the church. They understand so guys, very well. We have many wives and husbands, is what we're trying we're to polymists. say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, always, I always think about this. Uh, when I was getting ready to get ordained a priest, I had the great joy, uh, uh, Ty, who's my younger brother, Titus, who's an awesome guy, awesome man of God, and uh, he was getting ready to, to get married to his amazing bride, Colleen. And I was very blessed to witness their marriage. It's my first marriage that, that, that I was a celebrant for after I was ordained a uh, priest. My, my, my baby sister's getting married pretty soon, so I'm going to yeah. do her wedding soon. But as we're getting ready for, for, uh, for that, I'm going towards priesthood. Ty's getting ready to get married. In a sense, I recognize that this is very, this call is similar. It's, it's, it's to give everything to this person and to, to, to die for them. And he's called to, to lay down his life for his bride. But I always uh, laugh like when people would come up to me as a seminarian studying to be a priest and say like, oh, thank you so much for your sacrifice. You know, thank you for your sacrifice. And again, there's like, there's sacrifice involved, including the sacrifice of not getting married. Um, but no one at any point went up to Ty as he's getting ready to get married to Colleen. And said, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for taking Colleen You know, like, we know if if you wouldn't have done it, no one would have or something. And now Colleen is way out of Ty's lead. And recognizing recognizing that there is huge sacrifices within marriage, but it's not some sort of like, I'm just going to grit my teeth and bear it in order to do this. You do it out of love. And I think that's that's maybe the part that people can't see. And maybe in our own life as priests, we don't do a good enough job of, of living or expressing or talking about is I do this out of a response of love, that I've experienced the love of God for me and that, that he's invited me to follow him in this particular way as a priest and as a celibate and that it's joyful because I'm doing it out of love, not because the Pope has told me that I have to do this. Yeah, if I can interject, I think that also going back to like the notion of family and I don't think that we really talk about this because it's also one of the things that people don't want to necessarily talk about, but the consequence upon the priesthood and on priests of the diminishment of smaller nuclear families. Hmm. So as people have had less children, and as, as families have shrunk dramatically over the last 50 years. But like for me, I come from a family where I have, like you, have quite a few siblings, but I have six sisters, I have a brother. And I think that for me, like my relationships with my sisters as a celibate is super important. Mm-hmm. As well as like my brother, but like I have, at this point I have 19 nieces and nephews. And so, for me, like it's beautiful because like for me, when I want to get away from the parish, when I want to go and have that family experience, I go and I seek out my relationship with my siblings. Uh, I have kids around them. And that's also where I recognize, oh my gosh, like marriage is not all that, is not like the illusion of what I had yeah. cracked up in my, my like 18 year old brain when I was like, oh, marriage is going to solve all the problems in the world. I was like, I see like the reality of the difficulty of marriage, but at the same time, like having coming from a big family and having lots of siblings as well as, uh, nephews and nieces that I can go and, and I can find this like fecundity and within my own heart, I can find this relationship there. And it awakens me to the reality of what marriage is, but also it, it sharpens my own understanding of my celibate call. But in society, I know like a lot of my brother priests who are only, only child or they have one, one sibling who now lives on the other side of the country and they don't have family. Mm-hmm. Like there is, I think that that's it. I think that that is a, a, a big problem. Yeah. And, Funny, you described yourself basically as a, as a grandparent. You know, you get to come in, get the kids all riled up, and leave. You know, right, I you mean, love that's, it, uncle. Yeah, 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 that's right. Uncle, uncle, yeah. My sister's always calling yeah, me. Yeah, you get to come in and get them all riled up, give them the candy and sugar and all that, and they're like, "Oh, they're your problem now." So, yeah, and and you know, I think that happens sometimes in the church too. We have people that come in and rile them all up, and then we're we're the dad that's got to kind of 
come in and, and solve some of those issues. And so, and I would say too, with that, that my life as a priest, I've been a pastor now for, for several years, which is a tremendous grace. And I've been a priest now for going on 11 years, which is crazy um, that uh, God is so, so good that he's called me to this, that when I'm stepping into my, when I'm not like running from it, running from suffering and running from loneliness or, or when I'm stepping into loving people as a celibate priest in, in the way that God has called me, it's, it's, it's so challenging because it's calling me to be a husband, to you know, to the, you know the, the church, to be a father, uh, to be a brother and, and, and a confidant, all those sorts of things. And it's also it's also inviting me to that I needed to become a man of deep prayer. I need to be someone of, of generosity. That the temptation towards selfishness and loneliness and turning in on myself that's there for me, uh, but it's there for all of us. So in a sense, the more that I'm fighting against that, the happier that I'm going to be ultimately. And I think it's amazing that when when you look at the theology of marriage and, and some of the stuff that's really been put out over the last several years now, good it is in talking about. Marriage is really the the two these two people trying to make sure the other one gets to heaven. Mm. That that really is the focus of each spouse. That, that that's the same thing that the priest is doing for the congregation, for the bride of Christ itself. The, we're we're trying to make sure that the bride, that the people that we're responsible for, the people that we love and we come to know, are, are going to be they're going to make it heaven. That we're going to be a part of that. That we're going to be able to to love them into that and and to see ourselves that way. I think sometimes. Some of the issue that happens is maybe you have priests that, that aren't seeing it that way, or maybe they've forgotten it and they don't and they don't get it. And so people see that and they they're like, yeah, man, I'd rather have this guy over here because he's a loving father and he's good to his kids and all that kind of stuff. And so they see that father, and and I think some of the hunger that you see for for married priesthood comes from priests not being dads enough, not being fathers enough, being being more administrators, being more you know the the principal, the fuddy-dud, the, the the one who's telling everybody they got to do it this way or else, you know, oh, you didn't genuflate far enough down, whatever it may be, and, and not seeing their role as dad and as father and loving the, their, their people well, as if they are. And especially in a world where, like, even the definition of father is now under attack, being trying to be redefined or totally mitigated and say that this is no longer a thing. Fatherhood, motherhood is a social construct and doesn't exist and teleologically doesn't exist in reality. It's just some, some social... Thing, but uh, which gets to the very heart of who, who we are as human beings. But I think that also what we have done a poor job in, and like I think that we have done a poor job is one teaching the people of God, teaching the lady, teaching people what celibacy is. Yeah. As well as like, and now in, when we were in seminary, I mean, and this also depends on the, upon the seminary that you went to. I mean, we were taught what celibacy was, and that's why I remember being in seminary. It might not have been pre-seminary when I was at Steubenville, University of Steubenville. But uh, I remember being taught by, I don't remember exactly who it was, but what was told me, he's like, if you're not called to marriage, if you don't feel a call to marriage, if you don't feel a call to fatherhood, if you don't feel a call to be a husband, please leave now. Because the same qualities that make you a good husband and the same qualities that make you a good spouse, like you can't flee into the, into the priesthood to avoid women. Right. right. It's yeah. also, yeah. interestingly, wow. most, of our, most of our ministry at least 80% of our ministry is done with females and mm -hmm. is done with women because women come to the church much more so than men. Yeah. So what we were told though in, in seminary is like, you can't flee into the priesthood. And so like there's this perception in society that people, men, kind of these odd men or these guys who are on the internet. I couldn't get a date. I couldn't get a date. Yeah. <laughs> Struck out. Couldn't, 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 I'll do this thing. Yeah, this so, like, there's this, thing. Yeah. so there's this common perception, which I don't think is true, although in some cases, in a particular cases, it might've been true. Um, 
especially in the 60s and 70s, but I mean, less so I think today in, in the modern society, especially since we've had the cleaning up of American seminaries. But there's this perception where like guys are avoiding relationship and fleeing into the priesthood. But we were taught in seminary that you are going into a relationship. You are diving into a relationship in the celibate relationship. You're, it's with a collective church as a whole. You're not devoting yourself to one individual. You're devoting yourself to a whole group. You're devoting yourself to the bride, which is a com composition of all the people of God. And like you're called to empty yourself out, give yourself entirely. Now, has that been taught to the people? Do people understand that? I mean, maybe kind of in this vague sense. Kind of hodgepodge here yeah, and there. Yeah, yeah. hodgepodge. Yeah. And, but like there's this notion of like, are we teaching, are we explaining what the celibate vocation actually is? Um, as well as like emptying ourselves out into that ourselves, because like that's what we're called to as priests, is that we are called to be a stand-in for the bridegroom. Right. But is that being taught? But it also goes to this perception that people have is, like, what type of guys are, are being attracted? Like, are do, where like where do these problems exist? Like, is the pedophilia that we've seen in the last like 50, 60 years is this a consequence of celibacy? Which I think that that's a false a false narrative. I think it's a false question because if you look at the other congregations, the other denominations, like Mary clerics, like you just have pretty much the same the same statistical number of people who struggle and who fall into sexual sins as well as who have um, engaged in sexual abuse and things like that. There's not really, in terms of the data at least that I've seen, there's not a difference in the amount of celibates versus married guys who are actually engaging in act, um, alternative activities. Yeah, because right. I mean, because lots of times guys go into marriage to hide too. I mean, you know, the people going, guys going into the priesthood to hide sometimes, and we know that was an issue at least in the 50s and 60s. Maybe it still is now. And, you know, they have, you know, you have people in your congregation that will encourage a guy who's not lucky with women, you know, or, or maybe he's super smart and, and those sorts of things, rather than, you know, thinking to themselves, what kind of guy do I want to be a priest? Who, who, who right. would I want to be a priest? And looking at someone and saying, man, that he'd be a good priest. He's the kind of guy I would like to follow. He's the kind of guy I think would give good advice, can relate to people, you know, all those sorts of things. And instead what we do is, is we, you know, sometimes take the guy who, who's the odd man out <laughs> and we say, you know, well, why don't you just go into the priest? Yeah, go be a priest. Yeah, yeah, just go be a priest. And, I and was it, super cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was so cool. Don't ask anyone from high school because they tell you the truth. But yeah, yeah. yeah but, but they, but but what happens? You know, marriage. You're right. I mean, this this that's not the way you you talk about someone getting married. You, you don't say, oh man. I mean, you're not very good with girls. We'll go find that one girl that you'll be good with. Right. And, and mar no, no. You're, it's it's a calling to it. And and. People, I mean, if you're looking to marry someone, you're not looking for the one that, that's the odd person out, the one that doesn't fit. You're you're looking for someone who's going to relate to you, someone who's going to feed you, who's going to who's going to be you know a strong partner for you, rather than just trying to find someone who, who's you know okay, well they don't have anybody, neither do I. Let's go find them. And and lots of times in the church, what we do with these vocations, we're calling people to this stuff. And and I I think also too one thing that that we don't teach enough or, or maybe is not recognized enough is, is that everyone has a vocation when it comes to whether you're single or married. Yeah. I mean, right now, everyone who's not married, it's not like they're not in a vocation because they're not married or they're not a priest. They're in a current vocation called single life. Right. And to understand that that single life is a vocation and that to go from that, we need to be just as strong on whether we should be a priest or religious or not 
as we are into finding someone who, you know, to be married or not. And and so not allowing ourselves to, to say, well, single is just the kind of the, the reset mode. And that's where we just start from, but it's not a calling. I mean, it, it's a definite calling. And until we're called out of that, that's where we live. And, and the more that we can, you know, thrive and survive in that, mm-hmm. the, the more that we can bring that into the next part of our lives, whatever we're called to, or we live in that, for the rest of our life. I, I think we have a, a lot more about the single life that we could probably say, because I want to I fight you on some of those yeah, points. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I, I have a couple of points too. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but I, I think is every vocation, and this is maybe where it needs to go, and, and we, we can wrap up here, here in just a second. I want to hear kind of a, some closing arguments from each of us here um, okay. about this, uh, about specifically priests being called, um, you know, being called by the church to, to celibacy, being invited, you know, to live celibacy. And I, but I think for all of us, we can all say that, Within this, as a married priest, as those that are living chaste celibacy, we recognize that we're we're sinners, that we're still called every day to basic chastity, which we haven't gotten into chastity. That could be a whole other show with um, chastity, which is living your, your your sexuality with integrity, not giving in to lust, those sins of lust that are all around us, that every single person is called to chastity. I remember these the, uh, back when I was doing uh, chaplain for a high school, uh, the guys on the football team were like, oh, man, Father Michael, you can't have sex. And I was like, like neither can you. Neither can you. Yeah, neither can you. Because you're called to chastity. No, I can, but I choose not to. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, just as you were called to choose not to. So recognizing that that we live in in a society that's forgotten that basic, you know, chastity, basic purity of heart, that integrity that we're called to, and we suffer because of it. And there's a lot more that could be said about that. Yeah, and the glory which is found in that. Absolutely, and learning self mastery. And we get to do it in the context of the priesthood, in the context of your marriage within the priesthood, for us as chaste celibates within the priesthood, um, that it's, it's, it is exciting and it is a, an invitation that God has for us. So in closing here, I'd love to hear just kind of like a, a closing round out for, um, from each of you about uh, just your thoughts on should Catholic priests get married? I'll go first. Yeah, yeah. I'll go first since I am the married one. Um, so when I, when I first, you know, let people know that I wanted to be, uh, a priest in the Catholic Church. So I felt like I was being called to that. Um, one of the things that I, one of the reasons why I did that was because there was a need. I, I, I knew that there was a need there. And so I offered myself, and that's the way I've always put it. I've offered myself to the church. And if the church tells me no, for whatever reason, whether it's I'm, I'm, I'm not called to it or whether it, it doesn't need me, then I'm, I'm fine with that. But there was, a, there was a sense of a need there. And it was something that was allowable for me because, of course, I was a Protestant beforehand and was an Anglican priest beforehand, and so it's allowable for me because I wasn't, I didn't grow up in um, the idea that priests were celibate, and so, you know, that's one of the the thinkings of it. But but the the whole idea of of calling to this, and and the, the I recognize the the I recognize the genius in the Catholic Church of celibacy and and the reason that it's there. And, and the purpose that it serves. And so I'm not here to wave the flag for, for married guys. I'm, I'm not here to say, oh, well, see, I'm a good reason why we should have married priests. As a matter of fact, my wife keeps running a list of why we shouldn't have married priests. Like, <laughs> she's got a running list of, uh, yeah, this is reason number 372 why a priest shouldn't be married. And so I, I'm, I'm not here to We're say We're going to have that. her on next time just reading the list. That's, <laughs> many, yeah. That's it, yeah, just ticking off the reasons. And so... Um, so I, you know, I'm I'm not here to wave the flag for that. I, I think that that there's other issues that would be brought in with a married priesthood, in that not just to support the status quo, but that there's an actual reason why priests are celibate, and that it's a good reason, and it's good for the church. 
And so that, that we continue this practice is something that even as a married priest, I'm fully on board for and want to see. Yeah, uh, I'd go to kind of a, that's me with two of my sisters after she's told, because every time that they come into town, they stay with me in our spare room of the rectory. And uh, two of my sisters had both told me on different occasions, like, uh, you would never be able to have a wife. Yeah. <laughs> not, not just because it's me, <laughs> right. which actually they wouldn't agree. They actually, they've told me they, that, that, that I think you agree, make a great husband. Yeah. They're like, but the life that you live right now, they're like, no self-respecting woman would put up <laughs> with this schedule as well as with what you're doing, which is the difference between a marriage. Like, that's what I don't think people understand when they say, marry priests. I don't, people's expectations of their priests, especially their celibates, that would dramatically change. Mm -hmm. And our availability, if you got rid of the celibacy, or which is not going to happen, but if you were to go, again, massively back to, to Mary Clerics, like peop, the people of God, I don't think the average Catholic recognizes how dramatically this would change actually their expectations and the consequence. It's not well thought out. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm saying. It's like people who do, they look at it as a quick fix to a complex situation, a complex problems of which we've obviously been dealing with. But it's, like having married clerics is not going to solve the questions and the problems that people actually want these solutions to. It, this is like a Band-Aid fix. So, and, and you'd also obviously lose, as we've been talking about, you'd lose the beauty of actually what celibacy is. You'll, I mean, we'll always have celibacy, but I think that there is a wisdom in the church which is promoting the celibate vocation and which says that, you know what, the guys who are engaged in ministry as celibates, they are more free. They are able to devote themselves. And this has formed and fashioned the consciousness of the average Catholic in the last 1,000 years. Like, there would be a lot of trauma, actually, about with people of all of a sudden, like, I call, and like, because for the married cleric, yeah. your first responsibility is to your family and second to the church. And that's where people's, that's where people, I don't, I think that it's kind of an immature solution is that people are not with, with maturity looking at the actual problems. They just kind of have this quick fix. So... If, even if Pope Francis were to theoretically allow all of us to get married tomorrow. Use his Pope wand. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Like, I can't say. Like, I, I think that when, I mean, in my early 20s, I might have thought, oh, maybe I'll get married. At this point, no, I, love being, I love being a celibate. Like, yeah. it's not always easy. But neither is marriage always easy. Correct. So, like, but I love being a celibate. And I, have to, I don't think that I would get married. Because, I mean, I, I chose in prayer. Like, that's what the Lord presented to me in prayer one day. He's like, Tommy. I'm offering to you both. You can be married or you can be a celibate. You can be a priest. He's like, you can't have both at this, at this point. He's like, you have to choose. And I chose celibacy. I chose celibacy. I chose my vocation in the priesthood. And this was not me like saying no to something. It was me saying yes to something. And so like in that, I think that there's a balance because the church, we do have married. We do have married. It's, it's rare. I mean, it's, it's the exception. But as the ordinary, um, I'm not sure that I, I think that it would necessarily be the magic fix that people think it was going to be. And you didn't even mention the, the financial aspect. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just what it, how it would yeah. turn the, the local parish upside down. It, it, it would be a true change. We're going to gonna, we're gonna have functions. a full show with your finances actually after this as well. Well, I think for me, just, just in closing, guys, I'm so appreciative just of this conversation and, and, and uh, for just being able to dive into this. Obviously, the struggles and problems and concerns that people have. But I, for, for myself, just my, my closing thought, I, I was struck when you said, Father Tom, just being chosen, that we've chose this call, but also it comes because Jesus has chosen us. 
and and that's such a that's such an amazing uh, gift and grace uh, to be to be chosen by the God who loves us and who made us for the fullness of life, and uh, and I think it's also just I, I just want to say a word of gratitude to all those who've been watching uh, watching this episode of Catholic in America and for uh, for liking and sharing and subscribing supporting us on Patreon all the things that you do to help us uh, to be able to have these conversations and to bring it to as many people as possible. Uh, so on behalf of Father Doug and Father Tom and Father Michael Nixon, thanks so much for joining us on Catholic in America, and we'll see you next time.